Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust podcast. I'm Ian Pringle. In this episode, we get out and about at the Thornhill Cars Nature Reserve. We spoke to people there about all manner of things, including Shetland cattle, hoverflies, rewilding, um, sculptural art, loads of different things. But a lot of what we talked about couldn't have been possible if it wasn't for a legacy fund that was given to the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust about a year ago. The McKinley family that created this legacy fund in memory of their daughter, Emma, wrote an article about how nature inspired them. And you can listen to that article now. The words in this article are written by Ross and Sue McKinley and read by myself. Ross and Sue share their story of how they chose to remember their precious daughter Emma and her love for wildlife by supporting the wildlife at Thornhill Carr. Our family has always enjoyed the outdoors and the countryside, and we have had some of our happiest family times on wildlife trust reserves all over the UK. When the children were small, they loved marked trails, which encouraged them to run ahead to the next post and enjoy the simple pleasures of nature. When they were older, they still loved these special places, whether on a family walk spotting wildlife or out trekking with their friends. We always felt better for it. Sadly, our 24-year-old daughter Emma died in September 2017 after three years battling a rare blood malignancy. During her illness, when she felt well enough, we enjoyed many gentle restorative walks at a wildlife reserve close to our home near Lincoln. Now our walks take us back to those happy times with her there and give us the comfort which closeness to nature can bring. It was when we were walking in our local reserve that we were inspired by the idea to support the Wildlife Trust to fund some kind of trail as a memorial to Emma. When we approached the Derbyshire Trust, they suggested a sculpture trail on the Thornhill Car rewilding site, and this seemed absolutely perfect. We are now, as a family, very enthused about rewilding and truly delighted to be supporting this project in Emma's memory. The thought that this trail will introduce more of the public to the amazing rewilding concept is such a positive thing. We feel that despite our huge sadness, we have the joy of using her memory to reach out to a better, brighter and more beautiful future for us all. It has given us back our hope. Emma would have definitely approved and this is a tremendous comfort in our grief. Emma's art was often inspired by the beauty of the natural world and the night she painted for the Lincoln Knight's Trail, The Guardian of the Forest was covered in animals, insects, flowers and foliage. She died on the last day of the trail. Hello, my name's Sam Willis. I live in Landscape Officer for the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust. And I just want to say a big welcome to Thornhill Cars Nature Reserve. Uh, we're, um, it's in a fantastic location, just in the bottom slopes of, or the lower slopes of Wynne Hill, um, not far from Lady Bower Reservoir and um, the villages of Bamford and Thornhill. The backdrop is our woodlands, so woodlands are really important to the site as well, and we've got a good mixed broadleaf woodland 
with Ash and Sycamore and um, Holly and Alder. Um, but also we get plenty of hawthorn, hawthorn scrub, um, big swathes of that. And if you were to go perhaps the other side of the valley um, in spring, you look back at the reserve, then big areas of the woodland are transformed in uh, the hawthorn blossom. Um, so it's you know, really you know, come and visit, a really lovely time to visit. And I think spring is perhaps one of my favourite times on, on the site to visit. Um, and the woodlands themselves then are, you know, are really important for many birds. We get quite a few of our resident species like the blackbirds and the robins and wrens. Um, we get nuthatch. Um, you mentioned the kestrel, we've seen kestrel today. Um, and even on, you know, middle of winter in January, we still see the, the bullfinches feeding on the berries. So, you know, all times of year is, is good to visit, really. Um, and then our, our woodlands, equally in summer, they, they attract our summer warblers. So we'll get willow warbler coming and chiff um, chaffs and blackcaps and white throats. So they're really, really important for them as well. Really good site for those and, and, and other migrating birds. They pass through the valley. So yeah, with all the, the hawthorn on site and, um, and the lovely spectacle in spring that you can see, you know, I really think that's where um, Thornhill has got its name from, you know, Thorny Hill, full of hawthorn. So on the day that we were recording this podcast, um, volunteers and members of staff were installing the Arts Trail, which we will talk about more during this episode. But just to describe that to you, the Arts Trail runs along the side of a path or bridleway that runs right through Thornhill Car Reserve. And on one side of that pathway are a number of sculptures that have been installed. They're wooden sculptures and they've been hand-carved. And they also include a bench that you can sit on and look across the valley. The sculptures include animals and plants that you might find at Thornhill Car and also animals and plants that they hope to perhaps one day reintroduce. My name's Lorraine Bottrell, I'm a sculptor, mainly working uh, in timber and I, over the years I've done quite a lot of work for Derbyshire Wildlife Trust. So you may have done some of the other sculptures people have seen around the places? Yes. Uh, okay, yeah. lovely. Um, and so tell us a little bit about this project, uh, how it started and, and what you've done. Uh, well I was, I was contacted uh, by Sam, um, they wanted a bench and um, various animals that uh, they would love to see reintroduced that were missing animals so that's where we've got the the benches the the sit on animals from okay so right here in the hope valley we've got kind of our hopes for the wildlife of the future yeah i suppose you can feel like that so we've got the red squirrel what are the other things that you've done we've got a, a wild boar yep an osprey and a pine martin okay and could i venture as to a favorite for you or something that you had the in terms of in terms of the experience of making and carving and sculpting um which was your what was the better experience for you i think the the pine martin i really really enjoyed the yes i've not i've not done a pine i've done lots of weasels and stoats and squirrels before but not pine martins nor have i carved an osprey before right so uh, that was a another one as well that i've not done before okay and so we're looking here at, at you know a beautifully carved um, red squirrel and, and the others there. This is a piece of spruce uh, and it's actually half a log. Uh, I used two logs and cut them in half. It was a huge, huge log. Um, what I had to work out because of the shape of the animals was which way the grain was going so that we didn't have weaknesses in legs and arms and ears and beaks so that they could easily get damaged or, or knocked or loved to death. <laughs> Uh, but that's 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 sort of how I've, I've worked it so the osprey was actually constructed so I could get the grain going along its body 
and then added on the beak so the the grain was going vertically with the beak and then the legs were attached in so the grain was going with the legs. So do you carve those bits separately and then stick them on when they're fully carved or are they sort of no, half I, done I, and I then... I put them together as big blocks right. and then and then uh, carve them in situ okay. and then have to make up any little shapes or gaps that have, have ended up missing. It must be, um, I guess, someone once talked to me about sculpture or sort of carving and things like that and you know they they use this expression you knock it about a bit and see what comes out um i wondered if that kind of rings true with your way of working or you, or you do you have a kind of precise sense of what it's going to look like in the end I, I i tend to work from a lot of photographs uh photographs of lots of different views so um what i carve won't end up looking exactly like any of the photographs but it'll have the the general feel of them uh when i'm carving something that is an actual animal um, that needs to look specifically like an animal then it's um, a general cut out the, the basic outline shape and then nibble in to get to the detail um, which is a very different process to when you're just playing when you're just inventing and you're you're more or less making it up as you go along if you're doing a figure you know you need a face and hands and you need you know you need some proportion there but apart from that you 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 have more license to play whereas on something like this it needs to be very much more controlled and this is how we go and it's a, a job mm. you've got to get it done we walk along this it's a dead straight path really just along the edge of this valley and um and up until now there wasn't any sculptures along this path and now there is so what's your hope well people hopefully will notice them and, and appreciate them uh and enjoy them and sit on them and interact on with them because there's going to be information points by the side of them they'll then have they'll learn something and I found in the past with other trails that people use them as points of reference they'll take their kids out oh I want to go and see the squirrel I want to go see the pie martin I want to play on that one and it encourages people to come out and, and enjoy the countryside if a child sits on that red squirrel and builds that kind of tactile relationship with them then their memory of that creature is so much more likely to stick isn't exactly, it exactly yeah exactly yeah. yes and um, um, i do like the fact that my sculpture tends to be out in the public space and interacted with and played with it's not it's not precious so precious in the fact that i don't want people to to damage it but you have to appreciate that at some point that they will eventually love to death that, that they, they are appreciated and touched and, pl and play with for so much that they do actually wear slowly wear away and you see that actually on public sculptures and the, and the patina that you often see from people that have been yeah, playing where, with it where people have sat and touched them they've, yeah. they've become polished and smooth yeah, yes yeah, yeah wonderful so people can come along here play with those play with your art sit on it enjoy it be part of it and be part of nature It's worth saying that some of the best projects created by Derbyshire Wildlife Trust include working with partner organisations. A regular collaborator with Derbyshire Wildlife Trust and vice versa is the Peak District National Park. So who better to speak to than Anna Jennings, who is a Peak District National Park ranger? So I have to say that Anna isn't wearing a five-gallon hat and she's not on top of a, of a horse, um, but she is 
a ranger. So, Anna, what does that mean? Yeah, I don't have a beard either. I think that's what people are expecting when they when they know a ranger is coming. Um, so, to, uh, us rangers in the Peak District National Park, we've got kind of three main elements of our job. Um, so there's the engagement. Uh, so whether that's visitor engagement around the kind of countryside code while people are out and about and where they can go, what they can do in the National Park um, to make sure they have the best visit possible. Um, also, we do a lot of work to um, enable people to come out that might not be able to come out themselves for whatever reason. Um, another aspect is our volunteer rangers. So I manage a fantastic team of volunteer rangers that are out at the weekends advising people um, and also during the week um, helping me uh, repair um, gates on rights of way and things like that. Um, and then the final aspect is access and rights of way. So helping landowners if there's any um, issues with people using the, the rights of way on their land, whether um, they need a bit more signage, um, see if we can find solutions. So those are the kind of three main aspects to the job. You've been involved in some workshops that have, have sort of led up to some of the things that are happening today in terms of the installation of these sculptures. Can you tell us about that? Yep, so as part of our health and well-being um, work, we did a six-week project called Art Walks at Thornhill. Um, so this area of the Peak District was kind of identified as a bit um, lacking in health and well-being provision and get, helping people boost their well-being through access to nature, trying new things, meeting new people. Uh, so we put together a six-week project with uh, mindfulness, introduction to nature connection, bit of wildlife ID, um, a bit of printmaking, creative writing, and it culminated in this um, carving a sculptured bench, which we're just walking to now, which is amazing. Uh, so we had 10 people, uh, mostly from the local area, involved in that, and that was funded from our um, car park revenue up at Fairhomes. And did these people, um, were they identifying specifically that um, you know, mental health was an issue for them, something that they wanted to work on? Um, and if they did, how, how did the project impact on that for them? So some of the participants had physical or mental um, health issues, some didn't. Um, they didn't have to, to take part. Um, it was kind of open to all. Um, but we got some really great feedback uh, from the participants that they had felt a boost to their well-being. They'd felt a greater connection to nature and it had given them a focus in their lives and a chance to explore new places, meet new people, um, try something new and be a bit more creative. So yeah, we got great feedback. And that's hardly surprising really because I think it's boosting my well-being this morning just walking along this path so we're coming up to the bench now um, and it's a it's quite intricate actually I can see sort of made up of two large slices of tree that have been carved out on either end of the benches is that right yes yeah so I think it's a Scots pine um, so it's a beautiful um, kind of amber colour. Well, it was designed by the participants of the Artworks project. So all the species you can see on here 
uh, were chosen by the participants of the project. They drew the drawings and Lorraine took them away um, and Lorraine kind of um, started to carve out the shapes and then participants um, hand carved them in the last session. Looking at it, what, what are some of your favourite bits about it? Well, everyone loves the long-tailed tits. I know they're Sam's favourite as well. So there's some here. We've got a lovely kestrel. Um, it's great to get the, um, the fungi in there and the insects. So we've got knapweed, a bit of hogweed here. So celebrating those plants that aren't the sexiest, but they're really <laughs> fundamental for the ecosystem. We've got a lovely um, dormouse down here with the blackberries. Um, and again, bramble is something that isn't... Um, always celebrated um, but so useful um, and especially in this kind of rewilding um, ethos it's great habitat well they say it's uh, the mother of the oak so it's the original tree guard is bramble so um, bramble kind of protects tree seedlings as they uh, first start to grow um, so the, the thorns of the bramble are around the tree seedlings so things like deer um, won't come and nibble them because the thorns will put them off so they kind of protect um, the trees until they're big enough to grow out of the bramble patches. That's such a lovely phrase, the mother of the oak yeah. and that, that's, um, it's, that's a brilliant illustration of how sort of the, the, the symbiotic nature of nature I yeah. guess isn't it you know that, that actually trees don't grow in isolation they need other things to help them grow that's brilliant that's yeah. really nice okay lovely and we've got a, a woodpecker on the side here anything yeah. else just on the sides of this bench lovely nut hatch here and the roe deer red squirrel I think that and we're putting in um, a red squirrel sculpture as well I guess that's a, a, a hope for the future to see those here again and a lovely tawny owl and a tree creeper, one of my favourite birds. And with, when people come up here, what are the ones they're most likely to see? I mean, we're, we're, we're right in the middle of January here and it's quite bare. Mm -hmm. um, but what are the things people are most likely to see around at the moment? So yesterday when I was around here, I saw um, bullfinches, um, goldfinches, uh, nuthatch and tree creeper. Um, they're all on here and also um, this time of year is great because the hazel flowers are just coming out um, which are teeny tiny pink flowers on the end of the hazel buds um, so yeah that's my favourite thing to see at this time of year because it's like they're so bright they're like a tiny pink sea anemone coming out of the, um, the end of the hazel buds so um, yeah if you get a chance if you find a hazel tree have a look see if you can see the flowers. walking over to some volunteers that are, are digging a hole and just have a, a chat with them is it is it hard going this <laughs> yeah this we're critique? hitting all the sort of gravelly <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah when, it's, when right. it's gravel yeah <laughs> you're, you're working at it with a pole and and yeah. two spades yeah. Yeah. can i ask you just as you're digging kind of what you're up to and oh, shall i stand right in front that'd be really awkward <laughs> <isn't> that, <so. laughs> try not to throw mud at me try not to get soil on you, on you. <laughs> um Sorry, I forgot your names. Sal. Sal and? Lucy. Uh, Sal and Lucy. Um, so how often do you get out volunteering for the Wildlife Trust? Um, yeah, I live in Whaley Bridge and I try to, every week I, I'm out on 
something. That's the beauty of living around here. There's all sorts of different projects and organisations. There's so many things you can do. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> it was worth retiring early for so that I could get out and just do all this sort of stuff. <laughs> and what's the, what's the main pleasure in that for you? Um, well, I love being outdoors for a start, but also it is nice you get a much more in-depth understanding of what's going on and why things are happening um, which means that when you're just out and about walking and so on you appreciate things a lot more I think you, you start to understand stuff a lot better just be through conversations that you have while you're out working so uh, <laughs> okay, thanks, Al. Um, I'm just going to let you do some digging and uh, uh, quickly speak to Lucy. So, Lucy, what about you? Have you been doing this long? Um, yeah, well, actually, last week was my last day of the internship with Dubshire Wildlife Trust. Um, sorry, traineeship. So I was a trainee, but um, I can't stay away, apparently. So I've come back. because <laughs> um, we started this work putting these sculptures in a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted to come back and uh, see it finished off. But yeah, if I can, I hope to keep coming out while I'm able to. That's great. So and so you've had that traineeship and actually it's just got in it's got under your skin by the sounds of it. You you want you want to do more, you want to see the end of these these things. Yeah, definitely. And um Yeah, I mean we put half of these sculptures out the other week and I just wanted to come back and see it all finished and yeah, see see the job finished really. So that sounds really like a case of your your kind of for both you and Sound your your involvement with the landscape is almost in some way addictive once you've become a little bit involved yeah. then you're you 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 want you want more and more <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you get kind of like an ownership of it as well like i've been coming here the past couple of weeks and it feels like the little patch that i've worked on and i'll be able to come back in a few weeks and see well a few weeks a few years and see the sculptures still here and be like oh i did that <laughs> i helped with that at least yeah it's nice So we're just having a walk along now because we are on the lookout for some cattle that have been introduced to this reserve in order to cut back I guess on some of the invasive plants and things like that and keep things a bit lower so can you tell us a bit about this these cattle that we haven't seen yet but we're looking out for um, and tell us a little bit about them and how they come to be here now. Yeah so we've got some lovely Shetland cattle on site they're a traditional breed um, and they're very much suited to conservation grazing or sort of rewilding projects. Um, they can thrive off, if you like, poor quality grassland for cows. Um, and they are quite a calm and docile breed, which was important for this site because we're walking along now a quite a busy multi-user trail. So that was a consideration for, for which breed to choose. Um, but Equally important is that they um, are very wide browsers, if you like, so they'll eat the grass and they'll eat um, brambles and bracken and, um, and browse off young trees. So we really wanted to have a more natural grazing, introduce natural grazing to the site, um, a site that's lacking the larger herbivores. Um, so yeah, that's a, a key um, element really to the management, particularly of the grasslands that are dotted around as well in the site. We've got quite a few open meadows um, that the site is, um, is really important for the site and elsewhere in the valley. 
How long uh, how long has the process been going on for? When were they introduced and, and how's it going? Um, so they were only introduced a couple of months ago because um, the, the trust, we've not been looking after the site very long and, it, and so over the that summer really, over last year, we had a lot of fencing work to do so we had to do a lot of um, sorting out the boundary fences. They were in quite poor state so we needed to um, make sure they were going to be up to the job of keeping them in um, but only we only have to boundary fence in so the, the cattle or the cows have got the whole site to roam about in um, so yeah we've not had them in very long um, but they're settling in really well they're already making really positive um, contributions to the site they're starting to munch down um, the the grass in particular I mean, we just paused now and we're just over, overlooking one of the larger meadows and they're making a big difference the if you don't graze the grasslands, what happens is last year's grasses and flowers die back and then they can build up quite a thick thatch or mat, if you like. And then the following year, it becomes harder for the wild flowers and the finer herbs and the finer grasses to grow up through that thatch. So you end up getting quite a species poor grassland um, with just one or two grasses. Um, so by having the cows graze off that thatch or that mat, then it, it leaves the grass in much better condition for the following spring and the following summer where the grasses and, and the flowers come up and some of our meadows are quite rich in species we have a lot of different wildflowers um, but some of our meadows are much poorer so the idea of having the cows and uh, be able to graze and wander around the whole of the site means that they can trample through those um, more species rich areas picking up the, the seeds and so on and then as I trample through and they'll walk through into the lesser um, into the, the, the poorer areas then the seeds will be dropped and then, and then um, in the um, biodiversity of that site slowly increases. So these are, these are lovely sort of, they're, they're clearing things but they're also spreading the, the seeds around as well as we see them. And I can see um, evidence in the form of dung um, around this field here and a few bits on this path. I was confused as whether that would be horses or, because it is a bridal way as well I think isn't it? But, yeah. but presumably a lot of this is the cattle. Um, out in the field here, some of these lumps and pieces. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. We do have um, the cows. Uh, we do have horses walking along the trail as well, yeah. but yeah, it is mostly cows. Yeah, right. Okay. I wonder if we can find them. Let's have a look. As we search around for these elusive cattle, we bump into some more Derbyshire Wildlife Trust volunteers. My name's Pete Feetham. I live locally. Um, I moved here a couple of years ago and I heard Derbyshire Wildlife Trust was setting up um, this new rewilding project at Thornhill Cars, so I thought I'd get involved. And I'm Joanna Mackey and I have lived in Bamford for over 30 years and during that time I've walked along here for a number of years and seen wildflowers that I like so I was pleased that Derbyshire Wildlife Trust had bought it and again was interested to see how it was going to turn out, what the future would be. And it's interesting to talk to you both because you're talking about the rewilding side of that which is something we haven't talked about yet today. So what do you do and what does rewilding mean in a place like this? Well I think actually Covid probably did us a favour because what it enabled us to do was masses of recording. We did a, a huge baseline assessment, and I don't know about Pete, um, but I've been astonished at the range. P Pete's um, been involved in a, a bee transect and a bat survey, 
Uh, I've done the butterfly transect and a wildflower survey, but people have looked at mammals, they've counted bird territories, they've done moth trapping. Um, there's a very interested hoverfly man and he's invited people from Sorby Natural History Group in, in Sheffield. So we've done absolutely tons yeah. of recording, yeah. which has been wonderful because kind of we now know what's here at the beginning. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Pete, you were nodding vigorously. Yeah, yeah and I, I think the idea is to have that baseline assessment and then see how it changes through the years. And there's been there's going to be a, um, a, a slight bit of management in a sense. Now we have cattle on, on the, uh, the area, which is to try and keep down the brambles. So we have an idea of wanting to get wild flowers growing and sometimes the brambles can take over. So it's... Uh, yeah. So this is also about management then to a degree because speaking to Anna earlier, she was t telling me about brambles and how valuable they are to, yeah. to growing trees to protect saplings and things like that. But at some point they become less valuable. Yes, I believe so. I'm not an expert on brambles. I'm going to leap in here because it's it's the flower community, the wildflower communities. Um, that are, are hugely affected by whether or not you graze and in fact the site's probably had two or three years without any grazing uh, and I went out with a, a local expert who's done masses of surveying and we looked at the grassland all the different bits of grassland and at its best there are 27 species per square meter which is is rich and very good for this substrate but there are areas where you've got competitive species like creeping thistle, bracken, bramble, um, tufted hair grass, and they're competitive and they're squeezing out that diversity. So we, um, you know, the, the, the flower people, I suppose, want conservation grazing, which I think just takes place in the winter, to give, you know, the diversity of flowers a chance. It's interesting you say that because um. I, I've been trying to rewild my front garden um, and I naively thought that was just a case of you know, scraping up some of the grass and throwing down a few seeds and then one of my neighbours who's slightly more into it told me a little bit more and he was saying that, the, that actually you would have had this process of feeding on a meadow um, grazing which would have been the larger animals to begin with but then also latterly in the second growth you would get smaller mammals that would also feed on it so they keep cutting it down so basically said you need to work a little bit harder <laughs> yes yeah. Yeah. i think that sort of rewilding idea that people had where you just let it go is has slightly changed and i think if you've, anyone's read the the isabella tree book on yeah. the nep estate and the importance of having grazing animals in the past so you would have had like aurochs and stuff like that so you would have had it wouldn't just be trees from the top of scotland all the way down to the the south coast of england it would have been areas where animals would have grazed and, and kept it open so yeah it would have been a variety of habitats rather than, than just woodland for example yeah so we need to keep that diversity for the birds don't we it's a particularly good site for warblers yeah um and that's because there are lots of different heights of vegetation you know that, that there are shrubs and trees as well as you know ground flora so i don't know much about birds but i think that that's important 
But I think actually the, the cattle, they're already shaping it, aren't yeah, they? They, yeah. they? You can see that they've taken the top thatch of coarse grass off. You can see that they're eating the brambles, that they're nibbling even tufted hair grass, which must be like eating sandpaper. <laughs> but, you know, they're making their effect and, and they've obviously got favourite bits as well, yeah, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. We haven't seen any cows yet. Have you, have you seen any cows yet today? Not today. You know, I do see them quite regularly, though, and they're very, very nice, docile cows, which are all pregnant at the moment so they should all be calving i'm not sure exactly when but sort of sometime this year. next month this next month yeah. i'm rob foster i live locally and i heard that the dolce wildlife trust has bought this site close to me uh, i've been doing a study of hoverflies of the area and uh, uh, David Savage wrote an article in the Dolce Wildlife Trust magazine and uh, said he noticed it was particularly good for hoverflies so I sent him my hoverfly records and since then I've been uh, doing more hoverfly recording here and I found some amazing hoverflies, really rare ones. So um, I, I'm a complete I know nothing about hoverflies so tell us a little bit about the ones that you found and why why that's quite important for this area? Um, one particular one that turned up this year because of the global warming was one that's normally in the south of England and it's a hornet mimic. It looks just like a hornet. hornet. You'd be convinced it was a hornet. And uh, uh, so I was really pleased to see, see that one. They're a very rare one, a very peculiar one with pointed antennae that uh, I've only ever found once before a similar species uh, and that was on Longshore uh, and that was a bee mimic but this one was a, a golden one and I've never seen it before and that was on this site so yeah. that, that's really quite impressive. So how does one go about, um, the only way I ever find a hoverfly is completely by accident and usually it's just in my garden or you know well, hovering around so are you are you looking in particular places is there something about the habitat here that's particularly useful for hoverflies? Well, they're particularly attracted to flowers, so uh, this has been particularly good this year. Uh, ragwort has been flowering, uh, and a blue flower called Devil's Bit Scabious, which is very good for hoverflies. So it, I, I've had a, a field day this year, in spite of the COVID. Yeah. Good. Uh, but I'm not the only person recording insects here. There's other local people doing bee surveys and butterfly surveys. And I particularly tried to get the Sorby Natural History Society involved, and they've had a bio blitz here. They've done amazing things. They've, there's a few little streams that run across the site, and using sort of kick surveying, they found all sorts of caddis fly larvae, uh, and uh, in, there's invertebrate specialists turning over stones and finding centipedes and millipedes. Uh, I could add a bit about the fungi here. I don't know if that's of any interest. Definitely, yeah. Well, uh, the, the, as, as you might expect, something called Thornhill Carr, the predominant tree is the hawthorn. Uh, and that isn't particularly good for, for fungi. But nevertheless, the dead wood uh, accumulates in the soil and you get a, a, a certain amount of, of fungi arriving. And the other trees are, are predominantly ash, and which does, again doesn't have an awful lot of fungi associated with its roots, what's called mycorrhizal. 
So most of the fungi here is dead wood, and, but nevertheless we've had a couple of uh, fungi surveys here and we've found some pretty interesting stuff, stuff like yellow brain fungus, which as you might imagine looks like a brain only, it's yellow. Uh, and uh, green elf cup, which is uh, a small cup. It, it, uh, it's bright green and it's uh, hyphae turn the wood green. So yeah. the, that is a bit sought after the marquetry if, you, if you're trying to make coloured wood yeah. designs. So it's yeah. got it's got some interesting fungi here as well. So the, and we were only talking about that this morning. This idea of the the flora, the fauna, and the fungi. Um, and it's nice to hear that all of that is uh, alive and doing quite well at Thornhill Car. Yes, I hope it will do even better now that uh, it's looked after by the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust. So we found a couple of cattle. Oh, they're lovely. This one, so the one in the distance up there, Sam, oh, is there two there? No, there's, one, there's only one up there, isn't there? I think there's one or two. Yeah, yeah. In, in total, we've got eight on site. Right, okay. And if you've not seen Shetland cattle before, they're lovely black and white cows, um, more black than white. Um, and they've got these Viking style horns. Um, so they're very, very pleasing to look at. They're, uh, they're, they're quite fluffy. Yes, very fluffy, um, <laughs> and the, the coats are quite velvety and fluffy, and, it, and it's it's a bit longer than um, mainstream cattle, um, and that they can be out over winter quite happily in the cold weather as well. Um, so this one here nearest us, um, it's I don't know, it's twenty foot away from us or something. It's it's got a little bucket there. Um, so is that just some water or some feed or what? What's the what? How much work do you have to put in alongside just them grazing? So um, there's no work really. There's enough um, grass on site for them to graze all the way through the winter here. The, the bucket you mentioned is what we call a mineral lick. So that just gives them a few essential minerals that are lacking in the, in the, the grass for them really, just to keep them in good condition. Uh, many of them are in calf actually. So they'll be um, giving birth in the next month or two. Um, and a nice thing as well is that we're giving birth on site itself. They'll go off into the woodlands, um, nestle down somewhere and give birth um, by themselves with little human interaction or no, no human interaction. So how will that, well, that's interesting. So the cattle that you've got right now, I'm assuming came from somewhere. A, a human sold them to you, is that, is that right? Uh, we, we, um, we actually have a grazier, so they're loaned really. So yeah, a ah. grazier looks after them. Okay. And, um, and he has um, many more Shetland cows um, at other, other sites, uh, other organisations like ourselves, um, and they're really good at conservation grazing. So yeah, he has a, has more, a bigger herd elsewhere. So it, the ones that, are, that they um, give birth to then, the new um, calves when they come, are they will they become wilder is my question i was always thinking cause because they go off into the 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 woods and they sort of do this all on their own are they gonna i mean they don't seem at all bothered about us being nearby but i wondered if they get more secretive or hide away more as they as they become wilder or is that just daft 
Um, to some extent, in the early days, yeah, they'll they'll keep um, quiet and out of way in the woodlands. But no, they'll they'll be with the the, the herd that we've got on site. So the eight, um, there is um, a leader um, of the herd, if you like. There's a, a cow that kind of leads them, and they'll follow that one around. So they'll st- they'll stick together, um, and they'll all move around the site as you know as one group, um, going to the different grassland areas and through the woodlands as well. Um, so no, very much they're led by um, the boss of the of the herd. I think I've just seen, was that a kestrel that went up into that tree there, Cody? Yeah, yeah, that was quite nice just to see. And the sun's coming out, it's absolutely lovely yeah. here. Yeah. So as well as the, the black and white cows we've got, we've got one red one, which is a bit more unusual, and, and red is coming back into the um, Shetlands cattle now. Um, it was, I think it was lost for a while, because they're a rare breed as well. So. Not only are they helping us on our sites, we're helping them as well because they're a rare breed. So um, by helping to expand that breed, you know, it's, it's good, for, good for them too. So... We hope that you enjoyed that trip round Thornhill Car and Nature Reserve with us and some of the staff and volunteers that are working there. But of course, the best thing is to get out there and visit yourself and, and find it. So hopefully, if you can, pop along um, and you might be lucky enough to see some of those beautiful cows. By the way, if you like this podcast and what we're doing, then please do subscribe um, because you'll find out about the new podcasts as soon as we release them. But also please like it and if you've got the time, leave a review because the more people that like and review the podcast, then the more listeners we get and the further we spread the message about the wonderful work that Derbyshire Wildlife Trust are doing. And by the way, if you do like what the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust are doing and you want to support them, One of the best and simplest ways of doing that is to become a member. And you can do that by going to www.derbyshirewildlifetrust.org.uk forward slash join and you'll find all the information there about becoming a member. So once again, thank you very much for listening and to play us out, here are a few choice sounds from Thornhill Car Nature Reserve, including a few moos. (laughs) 